like, yo, what's going on, y'all? This episode of NC Raw, we do something different. We take the show on the road to Southwestern Community College for our very first live interactive podcast. We recorded the show in front of a studio audience with kind of like a revolving door of guests. We had uh, four or five different people come up to the table and talk with us about what recovery looks like to them. We spoke to students, faculty, administrators, and even community professionals um, in depth about recovery. We had a blast. It was a ton of fun. I look forward to doing more and more of those. I, I talked to Caleb about maybe doing like one a month, doing one podcast remotely a month from a different location in Western North Carolina where we can really like engage with the community and invite you guys to, to come and talk to us. Um, it was such a surreal experience. It was the day before my four year anniversary in recovery. And I really like spent some time reflecting on like how far I've come as, as far as like doing something that I love doing a podcast, doing a talk show from the college that I attend is not something that I would have ever, ever dreamed of doing in the past. So it was just a, such a surreal moment. I hope you guys enjoy the podcast. Uh, I know I did. And again, I look forward to doing more again. So hope you guys enjoy the show. The opinions expressed in this podcast are the views of the NCR team and the individuals interviewed. We do not consider ourselves to be mental health professionals. Our mission is to explore the various pathways to recovery and to give a voice to those affected by or involved in the care of substance use disorders. Some content may be mature for younger audiences. Viewer discretion is advised. Ready, set, go. We are live, Caleb McCoy. Oh, we've been live, haven't we? Yeah, we have. Okay. Come on, get All on there, right. share it off. Ready, set, go. Yeah. Welcome to the NC Raw podcast, live from SCC. What's up, man? How much, dude? What's going on with you? Oh, man, I'm, I'm blessed to be here, have another opportunity to spread some hope. Yeah, so we uh, we didn't have a show on Monday night, and due to a medical emergency, which we can kind of like get into maybe a little bit later. So I, w- I went ahead and posted um, the ep- the interview that we conducted. 
Who's that? Who's that? Is that yours? Come on now, Lori. What are you doing over there? Oh, wait. Listen, that may. He just did it. <laughs> um, and so I went ahead and posted the interview that we, that we conducted at the regional recovery rally with Oryx from the National Empowerment Center up in Boston, Massachusetts. Uh, he was the executive director of that Tapir-led mental health program up in Boston, Massachusetts. So that episode is now live. And we're doing this special episode from SEC, an interactive show. Anybody in our audience can give us uh, questions. We've got a third mic up here. You can post them on, your, um, on our Facebook Live, and Caleb will be monitoring those, those questions from the audience. I want to introduce our first guest. We're going to do a little revolving door of guests on the podcast today. We usually sit down for like two hours and really get into what... Um, into that, that guest's life and lifestyle. But this episode, we're just going to do a revolving door. Who wants to come up? We'll uh, kind of mix it up, give them 30, 15 to 30 minutes of, e- of each guest to kind of talk about that. So the person that I want to introduce now is somebody that I think our viewers and our audience are very curious because talk about name drop. Like, that's all, her name is all you hear on our show, whether it's from Kayla, whether it's from myself, whether it's from Caitlin. And I think everybody's like, who is Lori Clancy? Who is this person, this woman that you guys speak of? Right? Right. Like literally every episode. Mm-hmm. Well, Richie, he's the one that started it. Richie, yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. Every episode, her name comes up in some way. And she played a, a vital role in, um, in the this podcast coming to life by supporting me through the vision and really like hours upon hours in her office, like brainstorming ideas and tossing ideas back and forth and encouraging me to just go for it. So Lori Clancy, welcome to the podcast. Yay. Thanks guys. I'm excited to be here. Lori, has anyone told you today that you're amazing? I think you did when you walked in the door. I don't think I did, but I'm telling you now you're amazing. Well, thank you. You're amazing too. Thank you, Lori. So the first thing I wanted to talk to you about, Lori, is and like kind of pick your brain on um, what what do we have here at SCC, collegiate recovery wise? What do we have here, and what are we doing on this campus um, to support those in recovery and support those who you know could potentially be struggling? Like, how did this whole thing like come to life, and how did your like your passion about addiction and about recovery kind of transfer onto this college campus? So um, I am, I'm a licensed professional counselor and a licensed clinical addiction specialist. And so I've been in the field for about um, 20 years. Um, When I came to SCC about uh, four and a half years ago, um, it took me a little bit just to get acclimated to the college scene. Um, But I started seeing like my students um, and I know population wise that a lot of people come back to a community college because um, they have been through life and they are on the other side of that life that has happened um, and they need extra support. A lot of a lot of the students here at SEC are are, um, working full time or have children or single parents um, and they just struggle with just life things and some of those life things have to do with addictions. And if it's not their life that um, has been an active addiction or they have a history of active addiction, it's their families, um, parents, moms, dads, that they're taking care of the bills because mom or dad's addiction is in the way or their children's addictions. I 
have students cry in my class on a regular basis just hurting for their children, their adult children who are in addiction. And so I wanted to have supports here and SCC is definitely like community literally is our middle name, but we support students. And so um, I have had an easy time with the administration here just getting supports in place to help students be successful and um, to have meetings and groups and um, to be able to do fun things. Um, we were able to get the TYR grant uh, last November, which gave us a little bit of funding to be able to do fun activities to show that students, we can have fun in college and not use and not have um, any compulsions in it. We can go tubing and we can go um, to the escape room and we can um, just have fun and hang out together and, and realize that we do life together um, and that when we do life together, it's better. And um, so we, those are some of the things we've gotten started on this campus. Um, I think collegiate recovery works well at the community college level. Um, these, our students have been through a lot of stuff and if we can support them and help them stay in school and get the education so that they can go change the world, that's what I'm here to do. Yeah. What, um, you're a licensed counselor. When did you start teaching? I started teaching in the fall of 2014. Right before I came. What, um, <laughs> what do you, what do you see different in your students who identify in recovery or who identify with those life experiences than say a traditional student? Um, one thing I know about people who have had a lifestyle of addiction um, is they're pretty driven people. Um, literally, the GPA that's, is a that's, little higher. That's my man's favorite word right there. <laughs> I love I that seen word. Them perk up. I'm glad you didn't say motivated people. But hey, go ahead, sorry, I, I, I have a. I, let's finish that conversation because uh, I, I was I saw a meme a couple of days ago about motivation that I wanted to run by you. Okay, go, carry on, Lori. Okay. <laughs> so a lot of my students in recovery actually have a higher. GPA um, and just because they work hard they want it um, they want to be different um, a lot of them appreciate school um, not that my other students do don't but I think that when you go through a hard time and you're on the other side of that you tend to appreciate life a little more um, so they invest really well in their in their studies um, they do extra things um, Dustin does amazing um, honors projects that actually help our community and I've been able to shoot some of his honors projects out to the community so they know more about recovery and what agencies are available um, so I think one of my big things is that sometimes they also some of the material in class can trip them up and so it's important to have supports on campus and um, pull them in my office or spend a little extra time when the information kind of trips them up and, and it's a struggle if we're if we're doing something like PTSD and it's a, and it's a struggle that they had um, that they have those supports in place we talk a lot about self-care um, being able to have your own um, plan of recovery at all times um, that you should be doing like daily self-care um, weekly self-care and then bigger things once a month and definitely like totally checking out for a week or so just to get away and and recoup every year so we talk about those things throughout class and I hold them accountable yeah that's what I was gonna ask you is like how do you ensure that they're following through with these with this you know habit of self self-care because it's easy to like get caught up in the busyness of life because you, you mentioned in the beginning that many of our students have families have full-time mm -hmm. jobs have all these things going on how do you kind of follow up and ensure that they are proactively taking those steps to um, care for themselves well for my classes I have an advantage because <laughs> I'll just make it an assignment 
And so then it gets graded, and then so you have to do it. Um, I, my ethics class, I made them pull out their planners and take eight hours uh, each month for this semester that they had to block time um, just to show them how to schedule it. If you don't schedule it, it doesn't happen. So we do that. Um, so I have that advantage. Sometimes it's just shooting them an email or an encouragement or um, pulling them in my office and having a conversation. Hey, you missed the class. Why did you miss class? And just kind of holding that tight accountability. I will say that you are you're, when you hear these things of like professors and instructors like having an open door policy, this woman lives and dies by that. Like it is hard to get into her office because there's always a student that's going in there. And a lot of times it's not like it's not coursework. It's not, hey, I got a question about this paper. It's like, hey, I got this thing going on in my life. Let me bounce it off of you and kind of see what see what you think about it and what you might. That's how that's how uh, Lori and I first met. Mm-hmm. I was, you know, you had recommended to go see Lori, so I went up there and checked her out and everything. And we, then we got to talking about going to seminary school. Is <laughs> we, we went way over here, you know. I mean, just talking about life, you know. And I, I really enjoyed that. Thank you, Lori, for for hearing me out and being there for me. Yeah, she really puts it in perspective. Um, and I didn't really meet Lori like immediately. I think I had my my initial like interview. I moved up here in January of 2015, and I had my interview with a previous um, advisor who has retired. And so I didn't get to meet Lori till like my first day of school, six months later in the fall semester. But we really just kind of like um, connected because of her, because of that openness, and because of her level of support. Um, for all the students and it's it's sincere it's genuine like it's not she doesn't treat you like a student she she treats you as a person as an individual Uh, and that's hard to find I mean it really is and I think that's also one of the benefits of being at a community college is to have that personal connection you talk about so many students in recovery landing in community college I think it is a good fit because of that and because of the resources and the um, things that we have in place to to support us through this process Got a question from the audience. How do you encourage a student in recovery that feels they do not have what it takes? I think more like what it takes to get into school or succeed in school. So I think everybody has a different level of what success means. I'm going to go back to what's your definition of success. Um, That's what I'm currently working on in my personal life. I'm reading um, The Circle Maker, which is an awesome book. Um, about setting goals and um, like fulfilling your dreams and so one of the big things I try and do with each person I talk to is um, what is your dream Um, what are the barriers to getting to that dream and how do we make that dream a reality Um, and so not everybody is cut out to be a counselor Um, and and so like when Caleb came in he had like 82 dreams that he wanted to pursue. <laughs> He's up to about 100 right now. So, so like, I'm like, dude, so like what kind of education is going to support all of those dreams? Or like, let's start identifying which dream we can start going after now. Um, and so we started, you know, I want people to be passionate about what they do. I want you to get up in the morning and love what you do. And so some, some students, it's, it's about getting them in the right program that they're passionate about. It's about... Um, loving loving what they're doing and so if you love what you do you're going to put everything there you have to have a certain academic standard to go back to school Um, that's part of being here like and some people are better to be in the workplace and some people are better um, to actually do like more of the one-on-one work or do um, some people like to have rote 
information. So personality goes into that. So there's a lot that goes into that decision. But here's the thing. If you're passionate about something and you're capable of, of doing it, you can do it. And sometimes you just need to be a cheerleader. A lot of times that's what I am as a cheerleader, to encourage people to do it. Um, a lot of times I, I start with students to send them down to testing to get the academic testing that they need. Um, to, we have a great resource here on campus, Mike Despo, um, who does career, he's phenomenal at career counseling. And so a lot of times I send them down to him and say, okay, what are, where are you passionate about? What interests do you have? Um, and then start trying to figure out what's the best path for them um, and what, what it works for them. So does somebody have what it takes? Yes, there's an academic standard you have to meet when you go to college. So you have to be able to do that. Um, but the cool thing about our field the mental health recovery kind of wellness field is there's a place for everybody um, from peer support to nutrition to um, personal coaching to licensed clinicians to podcast folks that put information out there and have conversations so like I feel like we can find a niche for everybody at some point point. Um, and sometimes you just need to have somebody that pushes you a little bit to think outside the box there you go quoting Caleb again um, yeah, it's just, that's totally true, though, like, because, like, you know, I'd been in your program for a year, 15 months, 16 months, and I said, I, I approached you with this podcast idea, and, like, you totally, like, ran with it, supported it, like, we be, immediately began, like, brainstorming what it would look like, what it would sound like, how would we do it, like, you played a vital role in that um, initial, like, formation of the ideas and, and those sorts of things, and so that just because somebody like Caleb walks in your office doesn't mean that they're going to become a student in your classroom, mm -hmm. but they may become a student on this campus. And you might connect them with the resources in the community um, or the already existing resources on campus to fulfill their dreams. And with that being said, how do you, how do you identify that? How do, you, how do you assist them in identifying what it is that they're passionate about, what it is that drives them, what it is that that will fulfill their dreams because like I think many of us we get into recovery we get into service work through our fellowships and working with people and we want immediately want to come back and become a counselor we immediately want to come back and become a social worker but that might not be what that might not be lasting and that might not be fulfilling it might be um, temporary like my case so like how do you what kind of things do you do to help them discover rediscover themselves prior to their substance use I think I'm a huge fan of speaking life into people like um, words have power many times in active addiction the wrong words are spoken over you um, and people come to believe that is who they are that you are a loser or an outcast or a piece of nothing or that you never accomplish anything and those words resonate and so sometimes it's it's just speaking life over people that you are not an addict. You are a person in recovery with passions and dreams, and you have purpose and meaning. One of the big things that sustains recovery is purpose and meaning. And so if I can help somebody find what gives them meaning, like I love helping people. That's my passion. And so that drives me to do lots of things. And so finding and connecting what is something you're passionate about goes back to like why do you why are go back to the bigger question you asked earlier like who is Lori Clancy I could go real deep with that but like who are you why are you on this planet what's your purpose what's your meaning and and going back to like um 
what is that for you? And that's going to look very different for each person. Um, but speaking life over people, helping them replace the negative things that people have spoken over them and saying recovery is your chance to like recreate yourself. It's a reset button that you can do anything um, with the right supports around you. Um, so I'm, it's awesome that we have so many supports from financial aid to like um, just talking with our um, dean of students to have a, an accountant on campus to help file taxes and removing barriers that keep people from coming to school. Um, so like those things are are the things I think we can do to really empower people. And I think it's empowering them. It's empowering them to be not what they've been told that they are, but what they dream they could be. Have you, you're experiencing a different culture in the students that you interact with than maybe you did in 2014 or 15 when you were new to, to teaching because of these relationships that we have established with these resources on campus and because of the resources that we've created through the collegiate recovery program um you're seeing a different a different sense of the culture that walks through the, your classroom i think probably the culture shift i've seen a lot is among the staff and the faculty here that um they are much more accepting and loving and we have a great staff already but i think they've been very open to hearing about what is recovery and how do we support recovery for our students how do we support recovery in the community like how do we how do we help people achieve their dreams? And they've been open to education. I've gotten to do a lot of just one-on-one -on -one conversations. I've had opportunities to be able to um, do like staff training and education. Um, our, our president even had like an opiate crisis where we had all of the staff development came in and all of the staff were required to be here to, uh, to listen to the opiate crisis and how we can help and what it is and and the cool thing is they allowed me to talk about collegiate recovery. So some of the hard, the hard thing on a campus is just spreading the word that we're here and that we support students and that we have um, recovery meetings twice a week and that we do fun things and have a club. And um, so those are some of the things that we do. But I think, and also that students, um, just changing the culture that some of the best students in their class are the ones in recovery, but they haven't come out and told their teachers because they're afraid of what other people might think. Yeah. And so, like, I had a whole a whole class. One of the programs brought their class to a presentation I did, and one of the teachers I had I had shared that um, people with the genes that have addiction have a ten point higher IQ. Um, they tend to be more driven. Mm. Um, they tend to be more resilient, and they tend to be more charismatic. The genes connected with addiction also are connected with those higher intelligence and charismatic genes. And so that's what the research is showing. She's like, Lori, to be honest, I wanted to blow you off and say that's a bunch of bull. And then she, after the program, one of her students who has the highest GPA in her program came up and said, I'm in recovery from opiate addiction. Um, and I've been two years clean, and um, she's like, I was floored. He's my best student. I've heard that. Where, where's that data at, just for um, somebody that's, you know, wandering? So I, um, I am blessed to be able to go once a year to um, NC FADS, and Dr. Daryl Inaba, I-N-A-B-A, um, who wrote pretty much the premier textbook on um, drugs, and so he is there every year, um, and he shares that information in his PowerPoints and throughout his research. That's really cool. Yep. So I mean, Dr. Daryl Anaba. If you think about it, it's the same. You're, you're using, you're taking advantage of all of those skills, that determination, that, you know, um, intelligence 
when you're out in active addiction, mm-hmm. when you're, you're using, you know, you're using very resourceful, very resourceful <laughs> yeah. to, um, to live that lifestyle that you were living. And like you talk about all the time, Caleb, it's about taking that, that type of behavior and just putting it in a different direction towards something that's positive, right? Man, it's that determination and drive, you know, to, to, I'm going to do whatever it takes to get high. Now I'm going to do whatever it takes to make a difference in the world and, and to smash my goals and my dreams. What um, what are the opportunities? Like we we have a very um, pretty close group group of students right now. Most of them come from the program, like you said. Like just walking through the halls and doing a few events that I've done. Like I've had two different students in the last couple of weeks stop me in the hallway and say like, "Hey, you're you're the guy that does the refuge recovery meetings and stuff," and kind of like openly disclose that they're also in recovery and that um they haven't really like connected with our club so to speak just yet because of all those things that you mentioned in the beginning of the podcast the lifestyle the life the family the job that sort of thing so like where are the opportunities for us to to grow to support more students to like connect with the community Um, and we talk about this all the time personally me and you in, in your office but like what how can we improve what we're doing I think improvement is always going to be empowering people and encouraging them to be real and to be honest. Um, that's one thing I love about people in recovery is they're the most real people on the planet. They, they don't have time to screw around, and they, they appreciate life more, and so they're real about who they are. So many people put on a facade from day to day. And I think kind of breaking those barriers of just letting people know we're here and continuing to educate the community that um, – People in recovery need their support, but they also have a lot to give. Um, and so I think breaking down those barriers, connecting one-on-one with students, making the personal connection, um, growing leadership in the club and growing leadership um, outside of my program and reaching out to the other programs. School is really stressful, um, especially when you're first starting back and, and then balancing work and school and kids. Um, and so they just need that extra support. And I think the hard thing is for people to take the time to take care of themselves and to have the support. One of the things I ask for people who are in recovery that apply to my program is what is your recovery plan? Like, what are you actively doing um, to take care of yourself? What are you actively doing before you even start school? So maybe even having that conversation up front with more programs that we were more um, maybe recovery informed that more staff are asking, how can we support your efforts to come back to school? Um, I mean, I think doing the events are great. We had an awesome recovery discussion last week mm-hmm. um, that we've gotten a lot of good feedback from. And just people sharing their stories. Everybody's story has power. Um, and recognizing that we are all one community and we got each other's back. I, I am not a person in, that ever experienced active addiction by the grace of God. Um, but I love my recovery community. I love people who do life together. And, and so like, I want to be a recovery ally any way I can, um, to support people, to get them into treatment, to, to be the cheerleader on the days that it's hard. Um, and so I think those are the ways we can kind of grow the program is, is growing leadership, um, people who really own this and take, take it and take it to their classrooms and to the other students, um, and just kind of 
loving on people and encouraging them that they can go back to school, they can get an education so they can be better in the community. And for the community to accept, relapse sometimes happens. And so what are those, what are those warning signs? What are those triggers? Um, um, and how do we support somebody through a relapse? The quicker we get people back into recovery, the better their life is and the, the collateral damage isn't as bad. So um, just keeping that education going and keeping the, the supports in place. What would it look like in this collegiate, repro- collegiate recovery program on campus? What would it look like? Um, how would we respond and how would we support a student who did return to use? Like what, I don't know, cause that's just something that I've thought about a lot about because it, it is something that um, we will encounter. You know, it will happen at some point throughout this process. And what is the most appropriate way for us to respond and to support that student back into long-term recovery. So I think, again, the quicker we can catch it um, and connect them to the right services, they may need to withdraw from the semester. Um, and, the, and that there's, there's issues with that, like with financial aid and, and your SAP, um, which is like your satisfactory academic progress. Um, that you need to be able to, to keep intact. In and so if we can do an academic withdrawal versus a failure at the end of the semester, that helps them being able to come back and engage back with the college. So kind of educating on that. Um, there's some amazing treatment programs. Um, uh, Red Oak Recovery is super close. Um, getting into like longer term, like Zeus of the Carolinas, some of the wilderness therapy programs. Um, are phenomenal in our area. That's one thing that Western Carolina has is the natural resources that have great treatment connected. Um, They may need detox. They may need just to connect, you know, depending on the level of the relapse, they may need to just connect back to their their sponsor and their 12 steps, um, whatever their recovery path looked like, um, just getting those supports back in place around them. So, like, I think, um, again, there's a certain level of academic standard that colleges have. And so you can't miss a month worth of class and be, ex- be able to come back. Um, but we might could do an, uh, um, different kinds of withdrawals um, if, if it's that significant of a relapse. And then still work with them to get back. Still in work with them, connect them to treatment centers, mm-hmm. and then get them back when they are and back into a good, good place. Even do like some sort of like soft handoff, mm-hmm. like back into like the res- connecting, connecting them to the resources that we have here on campus. Yes. Whether it's like the peer groups, whether it's the social activities, whether it's introducing them to uh, fellow students who can support each other. And that's actually a way to grow the program is actually start marketing somewhat at the treatment centers that are that people are ready to go back to their community and connecting them that say, hey, SCC has these supports in place for you. Um, we are in like a, a college magazine that's nationwide just at listed as a, a college that supports recovery. Um, so, like, those kind of things are things we could do to actually kind of grow things and, and connect out to the treatment programs and kind of work both ways with them, hand them students, and they hand them back to us. Somebody watching remotely wants to know, how do you feel about changing the language of relapse to a setback? You know, we've, we've been talking for years that words have power. Um, and so if, if a setback... So, you know, relapse is also lots of definitions. Um, is it back to, is it one-time use for me? It's not a relapse. Um, it's a return back to that lifestyle. Um, so a setback, if that helps people kind of get back to a place where they can recover quicker, I'm all about the name change. Um, and sometimes we need to call it what it is. 
Um, and so if it's a return back to, I kind of like return versus relapse even, um, because you're returning to the, the place where you didn't want to go, and so we want to get you back on track. And so if we want to talk about getting it back on track, whatever people need to be able to support them to be the best they can be is, I'm all for that. So yes, everybody has setbacks in life. Um, I have them every day sometimes and so but I also want to take the I don't want to take the seriousness out of if somebody is back in active addiction it's going to affect every area of their life so it also can be a very serious very serious thing unfortunately the stakes are pretty high um, in people's lives yeah anytime that you're trying to trying to change that language on such like a, a, a global scale like it's a it it will take time you know like we've been promoting um, recovery language recovery language for maybe a decade now if that mm-hmm. five to seven years in our just in our community um, but I think that on the on the global scale it's going to take a thousand podcasts it's going to take um, you know the sh- you're trying to get people like the hospitals and like the local law enforcement and mm-hmm. people like that. And, and it doesn't help when like the language and much of the literature in some of these fellowships <laughs> uses, <laughs> uses um, language that isn't a recovery friendly, you know? So then getting those folks to change that language, but like, you know, by, by starting that change, I think that it's something that, um, will take an extended period of time, right? Like just us coming up here on a podcast, Richie talking at uh, at the recovery rally, us talking together at these different conferences that we participate in um, and attend, we have to touch the people outside of those conversations, the people mm-hmm. who aren't at the recovery rally, the people who um, the people who who aren't who aren't involved in in this world in this realm that we that we participate in so i don't know i i I don't know what the answer is um all i can say is that we intentionally focus and try to promote that on through this podcast like when we speak we try not to i had a slip up the other night (laughs) (laughs) yeah uh, we were talking about ho- those people experiencing oh, homelessness. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I had a slip up the other night, but we try to maintain that um, that recovery language. That and it's even hard in my profession. I still do PR and work at a local ER, and so some of you know, and and people in active addiction don't always present super great at their ERs, and so there can be some negative connotations that the nurses and doctors yeah. pick up. And so it is hard when you see somebody that's been to the ER 20 times this year for detox and, mm-hmm. and they go to treatment and come back um, and they're intoxicated at a, at a critical level again or at a life or death, like I see you kind of level again. And so like I do spend a lot of time talking to the doctors and nurses and anytime I get a moment of, you know, this is a person and if it takes 42 times coming through this ER for them to get to their place of recovery, then we're going to get to the place of recovery. I think one of the big things for me um, in that setting um, and in law enforcement is they tend to see people in the act of addiction and it's Mm -hmm. negative, um, of course. And then, 
but they don't see people like, I'm like, but have you messed with this person in the last two years? Do you know they're doing amazing and mm -hmm. they went back to school? And, and so like when I can share stories that, yeah, you don't see them anymore in the ER because they're in recovery. And so like they don't hear those stories in the ER. They only see them at the crisis point. Mm -hmm. And so just having those conversations constantly with our doctors and nurses and the people that, and, and law enforcement um, who are seeing people in the addiction stage, they don't get to see like Caleb's amazing and he's running across the country. Like they don't necessarily hear those stories. And so it's important for all of us in the community to share those stories whenever we get a chance. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, you're fortunate enough to live in that tight knit community on the reservation where you do have connections to <laughs> the people who revived you and the people who administered Narcan. I, I don't know if I'd go with <laughs> fortunate enough. Some, <laughs> some, sometimes, man. It's, yeah. Yeah. But it's, 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 um, <laughs> I shouldn't have said that. I, that's awful. <laughs> you are fortunate. Cause you are fortunate. I would love it, for the the rest of the world to have the, some of the resources that the people in the reservation have. We are fortunate have. to, yeah, for, as far as resources that. go, yeah. Because sometimes, like, for somebody without insurance needing detox um, in our local ERs, I've got two places. They have a total of about 40 beds that support about 26 counties. Um, and so just even getting a detox bed, there's a wait list and drives drives me crazy sometimes because there's a short window when people can get help than that initial phase and sometimes I miss it just because there's not a bed available so you are fortunate <laughs> yeah yeah for sure I, I am I shouldn't have said that oh, need some grace and forgiveness on absolutely that <laughs> you're talking about language I was um I was reading an article from a pretty reputable journalist over in I believe it was the Greensboro area last week I don't know if you happen to see it. Uh, I don't have it in front of me. Um, and he was presenting a topic of local agencies administering Narcan. Um, and he was, the way that the article was written, he was not supporting recovery at all. And the way he presented this was that um, the financial side of administering four, five, six, seven, eight, 10 doses of Narcan to a single person, sometimes in like the same week or within a couple of days, right? Where you have the same individual overdosing multiple times over and over again. And he went on to um, talk about how it ties up the resources of these local agencies when you call 911 and the ambulance is uh, responding to an overdose. What happens if your grandmother or your mother has a heart attack and they're busy over there? So is grandma's life more important? That's, than that's how I look recovery. at it. Um, and he was talking about like, <laughs> he was talking about like triage in the military and how they assess the level of the, um, the injuries, right? Like, is this guy, can we just like, you know, treat him real quick and then get back, come back to him later? But at the end of the article, he was like, how would you like it? This was his closing words. was like, how would you like it if your mother passed away from a heart attack while the EMS was responding, was reviving some junkie? <laughs> and I was like, and this is a, this is a the power of words. Yeah. And this is a reputable journalist writing for the local newspaper. Um, and he got a lot of pushback. There was people on Facebook, like posting the phone number to contact and just let him know that you weren't that you weren't happy with the way that they delivered this message 
Um, and yeah, I mean, it's a problem, right? It is tying up resources. I get that. But how much, how much is your life worth? How much, why is grandmother's life worth more than this individual's life? Well, I mean, the argument right there is always going to be, well, they're making a choice. That's a choice that they're, you know, that's a mm -hmm. choice that they're making. And you could even, I don't know, I'm not even going to get into it. Come on, man. <laughs> I'm eating a heart attack, right? What What if grandma's eating, you know, what if she's making a choice to eat badly? What if she's making a choice to smoke cigarettes, you know, so she's declining? It's it's the same thing. And when same. they call 911, that you don't know all of those right, factors right. that contributed to that point. Um, you know, I don't know what the answer is. It takes massive culture change. The other issue is Narcan is not an expensive drug when you start looking at treating people. And, and it, part of it is that the, the opids are getting so intense with the carfentanil and the fentanyl enlaced in them. And that's part of the issue. But if it takes four or five, they're going to get in recovery. They can't get in recovery if they've, if they've passed. And, and the amount of they might be the next person who's going to overcome something. We don't know. So every person's life is valuable, and, and EMS does the best that they can. Um, but if law enforcement carried all of the Narcan, and I know in Haywood County they do. I don't know about in other counties, um, but Jackson County they do too. So um, it's important that everybody has them just to be able to give people that second chance, and every life is valuable. I, I, had to, I had three. Um, they brought back three times the Narcan. So, and I'm so glad you're here. Thank you. I think your whole, all of your community is, man, for yeah. the things that you're doing these yeah. days. And I bet someday the world. Hey, Thank you, Lord. <laughs> Speaking of that, Caleb, I got a question. That's kind of off it, topic man. for you. How does it feel today, waking up this morning, knowing that the feds, the FBI, local law enforcement agencies, oh, right in Cherokee, are in town doing a big old roundup? And you're clean as a whistle. You, you don't have a, nothing to stress about. You made your run this morning. You didn't have, have a, you weren't hiding. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, I did. I did get, get a little worried because I seen it. They'd been investigating for the past, the past two years. And I was like, man, that's when I was still out there. <laughs> so, but, you know, God, hey, God's going to take care of me. I've been doing his work and, and he's going to keep that favor on me. So. Yeah, I thought that was funny. You were the first guy I thought about when I saw that the FBI or whoever was setting up shop over in Cherokee do, and getting ready to. Oh, I was them. taking Caitlin to work, man, and the you whole. Seen them? Oh yeah, <laughs> it was everywhere, man. Yeah, That's another Caitlin, joy of recovery, right? right? No yeah. stress. Yeah. yeah, that's what I was looking for, man. That's yeah, what I was looking it was for. Everywhere. All right, Lord Clancy, well, I appreciate you taking some time to talk with us. Um, time permitting, towards the end of the show, if you'd like to pop back on, we'd love to have you. Um, thanks for letting me come in yeah, and absolutely. guys everybody in the community keep doing what you're doing because um, you are the ones that are going to change the world I believe that with everything in my heart so keep doing what you're doing and, and thanks for letting me pop on today yeah absolutely I look forward to doing again in a, a longer form more traditional setting before we get going on to some other topics Caleb since we didn't do a podcast on Monday night I do have couple of audience member recovery anniversaries that we'd like to recognize. You ready? Yeah, let's go. Joe Bird? Joe Bird. I know you know Joe Bird. Yeah, hey, hey he come to the Race Hope event and cook bur turkey burgers. Did he really? Yeah. That was the... He just, he just passed out flyers trying to get people to come and cook turkey burgers. Yes, Lori. Whoever wants to. Whoever wants to. Um, so, awesome job, Joe Bird. Ready for this? 926.04. 
That is 14 years, my friend. 14 years in long-term recovery. Wow. That's Congratulations, we, Joe. Yeah. Proud of you, man. Shout out, Joe. And Eilina Lucas. Who? Eilina Lucas. I think, oh. I think she's a peer support at Balsam. Okay. 9-27-13. That's five years in long-term recovery. Congratulations. Shout out to Eilina. Thank you guys for supporting us. You do an amazing job. We have a running post on our Facebook page. If you want to drop your anniversaries and get recognized on the podcast, just drop your dates down there. Every Monday before the show starts, I review them and see who's on there. I got one more po- one more uh, recovery anniversary for you, Caleb. Uh, what's that? 9-27-14. Four years. I don't know. Rob on the radio. Really? Yes, sir. What's up, man? Yeah. Four years. That's tomorrow. Rob on the radio. <laughs> they, they call me Rob on the radio, Steve on the streets. Uh, nice. Four years. Good job. Yeah, so, hey, Cheryl. Hi, Steve. Cheryl. Rob on the radio. Yeah, Rob on the radio. I was, that was coined by Caleb. Why, I do not know, but that's what they call me. So. Well, no, you remember Richie was, he was high strung at night, like always, and he was like, Rob. <laughs> it's like, what? Where did you get Rob? It kind of stuck. Rob on the radio. Go ahead and introduce yourself, Cheryl. I'm Cheryl, uh, Dean of Students at Southwestern. Happy to be here with you two. And a big fan of Lori Clancy's. Oh, yeah. I have not met, <laughs> I have not met one person that has not. Lori, you, if you went back and listened to every one of our shows, if, you want, if you're having a bad day, if you're having a bad day and down, I would just go listen to any podcast because at some point in that show, someone is talking about how awesome you are. Mm-hmm. I promise you that. So, Cheryl, thanks for sitting down with us. You are a phenomenal recovery ally on this campus. Um, you know, we spend a lot of time sitting in Lori's office, like just brainstorming ideas on how we can make an impact both on campus and in our community when it comes to recovery. And, like, every idea that we kind of, like, hone in on and bring to you guys, you guys are just like, go for it. Yeah, Lori's great at asking me for money. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I'm sure she is. But I just, I just, I value the support. I see a significant difference um, in that. You know, we had done some work at other schools in the area, and, Mm -hmm. you know, we experienced more barriers. Hmm in some of these ideas. So um, how long have you been the dean of students here? Mm, I've been the dean of students about four and a half years now. I've worked at Southwestern. Um, I'll have 30 years of service in this March. Okay. So I've been awesome. here a long time. What, um, what kind of changes have you seen in that those 30 years? That's great. I was hoping you would ask me that. Um, so I think the work... I don't think I'm confident of the work that Lori is doing now and and you know we had Sarah Altman we had other great folks in our human services programs um, in my experience at Southwestern the the conversations have always been alive within your program and I think that uh, what we're seeing now and and before I was a dean I was an advisor I, I worked in student support services worked with low-income first-generation students and students who had disabilities And I think the stories that um, advisors and faculty and staff here on campus with with addiction, with abuse, with eating disorders, it really doesn't matter what's being brought to those conversations. Mm -hmm. Um, Oftentimes they're challenging 
um, for the student. And I think a lot of times students walk around the campus with a, I'm the only one who's living with this. So um, what I have seen over the years is that from an advisor's perspective to now an administrator's perspective is that when the stories are shared, most of the time with the exception of in your program, those conversations happen one-on-one -on -one with the student and an advisor. And the willingness for students to talk about it, and it's kind of like the black cloud that you guys were mentioning earlier, is those conversations weren't always easy. That information's not always easy to share because of some of the stigmas that go along with addiction. And so what I have seen over the years is that those conversations that would happen in, you know, behind a closed door as students were getting registered or finally were at a breaking point where they needed to tell somebody, they would happen in a vacuum. And so there was an awareness that it was going on on campus. Obviously, with us being an open-door community college, the community members are here. They are with us. They're, they are our students. Um, as this has evolved and we've had, you know, new leadership come in, we've had new program changes, those conversations aren't happening behind closed doors anymore. And I will say one of the best things that I have seen here is what happened last week with the roundtables. And, and those are all of those stories. If you've been here long enough, you have heard them. I have worked with dozens of students of advisees who have come to us from addiction. And remind me, I want to get back to the addictive gene you guys mm -hmm. were mentioning earlier. Sure. But what is happening now is we are bringing, not we, you guys, are bringing those conversations forward. And so this, this room, these two rooms were full last week for people who couldn't get here and just have the visual of it. But those stories happen a lot behind closed doors and you guys are putting them to the front when you attended that meeting and 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 all i did was stood at, the, stood at the back and said wow these are our students these are our students all being very raw is the word that i can <laughs> come up with you know and sharing their life it's like wow when when you get that outside of of, of a single conversation the reality it is the reality is we got a lot of kids here who are struggling but they are some of our finest students. And so what we have seen, and when Lori was talking about the research that she is able to glean each year, and you were asking the question about where does it live, um, some of it lives within the stories that our students tell. And I know, and I have worked with, over the years, dozens of students who have had serious addictions to heroin, opioids, and they come and their story is, I have an addictive gene, I have an addictive personality, I'm going to get addicted to math. I'm going to get addicted to English. I'm going to get addicted to this. And so they just shift that focus. And so they do become the valedictorians. The young lady that talked last week mm -hmm. made it clear to the group, I was the smartest kid in my school. You know, that is an applausible moment right there. And so I think what we have shifted here is that the, um, there is a good group of people led by you and Lori who are doing really good work to keep the conversations going. And so when I think about this, I always think of it in terms of just continuing the awareness. Yeah. A and, then, and then you guys having the connections to let people know that it's just taking that first step, which is very scary in general, and talking to someone. Because then they'll mm -hmm. realize there are really a lot of cool, supportive people here who see that everyone has value. Mm -hmm. Yeah, taking that first step is often like the hardest part and actually I was going to talk about an article I was reading in the New York Times last week about stress and about parenting and parenting with children um, and how 
you know, stress is not a bad thing, right? Stress motivates us to move forward. Stress um, kind of allows us to take action, right? You're in a stressful moment. You can either allow it to affect you in like negative ways or you can take action. And what does that do? It fosters growth and it fosters healing. And so that's a, a huge part of like what we're trying to do through our work here on campus is just make those connections. And like when I walk through the hallways, a huge part of what I do is I just say hi to people. Right, right. Like I literally say, hey, how's your day going, bro? I see you sitting over here on the bench. I'm walking through the hallway. Hey, how's your day going? You having a good day today? And about half of the kids look at me like I'm crazy. Like they look at me like nobody has said that to them before in a long time mm-hmm. and they don't walk through the hall they're walking through the halls like this and I, i'm granted I, I do that too but i say hi to people how's your day going everywhere i go across this campus and a couple weeks ago i told this story on the podcast a few weeks ago i started passing this kid in the hallway every day how hey how you doing today man how you doing today he stuck his hand out and shook shook my hand on the first day the second day across the park and like hey dude how's your day going waved at me the third day in a row, he came up to me, and he was like, hey, you're the guy that does refuge recovery, right? And I was like, yeah. And he was like, yeah, I saw you speak at the little orientation thing. He's like, what, tell me about the groups. When are the groups? You know, what's going on? What are you guys doing? That sort of thing. But, like, we would have never – I don't know that he would have reached out to our club or, or our organization had I not been kind of planting those seeds of, hey, hey, man, how's your day going? Hey, I see you over there. Like, is everything going good in your life? all about relationships how can we help you and that's like i've done that my whole life you know uh that was a big part of like of my addiction was that like i didn't feel comfortable in like building those relationships i didn't feel comfortable talking to people and here i am at a table with a microphone in front of me but i didn't feel comfortable talking to people i just felt like i don't know what it was i just didn't i didn't have that skill naturally so what did i do my dad was like, hey, if you go get a job, I'll we'll talk about buying you a car when I was like 16 years old. So I ran down and got a job in retail, forced me to talk to people, forced me to learn how to relate to people and how to build relationships and how to build trust because they had to trust me in order for me to sell them something, right? And that, that experience in doing that for like 20 years is what kind of inspired me to come back to school and be a counselor because I would be able, I could be able to build those same relationships um, with my clients. A couple years later, it inspired me to start a podcast because I can touch more people with my voice than the 20 people on my caseload, than the people that are coming into my office once a week, the thousand people that are watching on Facebook Live and downloading our shows every week. We can build that relationship through the through the, the use of technology, and we can continu- continue the conversation, which is what you kind of hit on. And that's always been where I think that as a com- local community, as a society, we fail. We fail to continue the conversation. I go to recovery events. I go to training, speaking engagements that are fabulous super educational, inspirational, 
meet new people and that conversation stops that mm-hmm. night. And I'm always, and I've had these conversations with Lori in her office about how do we continue that conversation? So Cheryl, how do we continue the conversation that we started last Wednesday? Mm-hmm. Well, I think that some of us have, have done that because in, in listening uh, in, in listening to the, the, I don't know if they were concerns, but it really it was the barrier conversation that some of the students were saying in, in terms of just, you know, leading a life of addiction and the things that don't happen that the rest of us would not consider. Um, uh, you know, and, and they talked about not filing taxes, and they talked about the financial aid, and there are some questions related to um, usage and, and distribution and that in terms of drugs on the financial aid, on the FAFSA form. So, you know, how you, how you carry on that conversation is to continue to go back to the things that are preventing students from either connecting and changing their lives through education and finding the other things that really might not have anything to do with addiction, but that will support a healthy environment and healthy bodies, healthy minds. And so from the recovery uh, roundtables last, last, last week, you know, we immediately said, surely we have accountants who can help with some of the tax concerns mm-hmm. that students have. And when they're ready, you know, maybe that can become part of a, a service-oriented thing that we do at Southwestern. We know the community offers some tax um, nights and that, but maybe students or people in general aren't comfortable going there. Yeah, and uh, well, what I've, the conversation I've had with Lori is that a lot of times when they're ready to f- do this, it's not tax season, so they don't have these free tax services all over the place. Like over the summer, this past summer, like at once the tax deadline hit in April, all those places closed up shop until next year. And I had four or five students who were, that was the barrier that was preventing mm-hmm. them from moving forward. Yeah, so maybe we set something up mm-hmm. with the guidance in terms of when mm-hmm. these conversations are happening at our, you know, heavy points that surely there's some things we can do internally to help. I think the things in terms of mentioning, you know, activities or associations, I, and I do believe it all comes down to relationships on everything. It's the things that are tied to pr- producing a healthy body, healthy mind, but but we're not naming it. And, and we talked about yoga and, and the, the power of yoga and the fact is we had a a yogi sitting in the audience and so immediately she came to me afterwards and said what about this and I was like I was thinking the same thing we're going to be doing a yoga on the quad through hashtag student life and we immediately said we're going to connect with Lori and we're going to have and I think you and I talked Mm -hmm. about this in my office the other day so there's some systemic things that we can do that promote living a healthy lifestyle and you don't have to tag an, an addictive anything to it. It's that here, here are the things that keep us all focused, keep us grounded, give us time to reflect and to breathe. And, um, and, and if, if you are struggling with other things, but, but this can help, then come on. So it's just it's looking at all those other systemic things that we have that we already offer here, that we begin to connect the dots. What I hear you saying, though, is direct action. Like you yeah, witnessed. Call to action. You witnessed these barriers firsthand and immediately formulated a way to overcome those barriers. Here we are one week later, right? And you've got solutions to these, what appear to us to be somewhat minor problems, but to them could stop them Mm -hmm. from further action, from continuing the, that momentum that they had built up going back into school. Um, What other ways can we continue the conversation? How can we, like, 
I'm, I'm just like brainstorming. Like I just, I'm, I'm always looking for ways to, to connect with them i think Lori touched on some of that as an institution we are making it part of our you know required professional developments now through the opioid trainings and just taking a look at what's going on in our uh, community Um, i think we continue it through our club council we're going to be meeting on friday where we bring everybody together for leadership training Um, obviously your group will be represented and um, you know, there's opportunities for students, and, and I hope that you're one of them uh, to sit on our board of trustees as a ex officio member and to become part of student life. And so we begin to, um, I don't know what the right word would be for this, but plant comes to mind. But, you know, you, so, you, so you begin to spread the knowledge mm-hmm. out um, to the folks who need to hear it and, and, and people to feel comfortable talking about what my club represents so we have a great opportunity again on on friday morning with our leadership training what about prevention we have a lot of young students Mm -hmm. specifically with the early college on campus what types of how can we connect with them in more of a a prevent preventative way or prevention model to because like i talk to people and they hear like addiction and they hear recovery and different things and they quite honestly, they're like frightened or they stand back or they're like, oh, that's not me. And I'm like, well, you know, we're so so to me, it's more about health and wellness. Mm -hmm. Right. I think wellness is is the the word that I try to use the most. But um, how do we connect with those younger those younger students who might not have have the life experience that students like myself and Dustin, Trevor, others might have? Um, I think that definitely I'm not an expert here, so I'm, I'm, I'm going to talk about what we saw with the Generation Found video a couple weeks ago um, during our Save a Life tour. Mm-hmm. And I believe that they had mentioned in terms of when the question was asked about gateway drugs, and, of course, everybody immediately goes to marijuana. Mm-hmm. And then Lori was real quick to say, no, nope, you know, that's not. It's cigarettes. Yeah. And then the age that they gave during the Generation Found conversation was 10 for 12. 10 to 12. So yeah, okay, so I think that if we're focusing on our high school kids, we've missed the bus, mm-hmm. right? So it's taking it down to the middle school students. It's taking it down to the elementary school students. Um, and in, in those conversations, I, I don't know. I, I want to believe in our area just because of what we are experiencing in Western North Carolina with some, some of the drug problems. Yeah. I would like to think that this, the elementary schools and the middle schools, you know, hitting the kids before they're 10 and 12 are having those conversations I, I don't have any information to back that up but I think it's you know part of what you guys are doing in the community and participating in rallies having club events here inviting the community here we, we can put forth initiatives that way in some effort yeah Caleb you talked to the middle school today the middle school sixth seventh and eighth graders at Fairview Elementary uh-huh that's where it's going to I mean that's where we need to that's where we need to be I know dares in the schools but it's it's not consistent enough right they just do i know swain just does a week talks about like bullying one day cigarettes one day alcohol one day those kind of things and i just i mean a week out of the year with so much information that they're taking in anyways they're not they're not going to remember a lot of that and i think it's uh it's important for us to to try to i mean beat down these doors until they they let us in and get in there and and with people that's got a lived experience to go in there and shed some light on what can happen well and sometimes that's that's not if anybody's listening you can text in and say i'm wrong and i'll be okay with that i I think sometimes when they do those shows too 
it doesn't always represent the face of addiction because they bring in the worst case folks sometimes. Yeah. And, and, and a lot of times the young kids are like, that's not me, so I must not be an addict. And I was like, oh, you know, you know, I think mm-hmm. it, a lot of times it's the folks in prison who have had a horrific experience because they've been through it. But addiction doesn't always look like that. Yeah, it can be very subtle for sure. You know, and getting somebody in there relatable, like like this morning, you know, I was talking to the FCA, the Fellowship of Christian Athletes, and I told them, you know, I, I, they could relate to me. They're all playing sports, right? They're all athletes in in their school. And and so uh, I, I got to tell them about me winning a state championship. That was one thing I'd done, you know. So they, now, right then, you know, I could see that they were really engaged. And, oh, I, could, I understand this guy, you know. Mm-hmm. And I like what you said because I think that real athletes, when you were talking about doing well in the classroom – I think real athletes compete on the field, on the court, on the track, and in the classroom because you're so competitive, you simply mm-hmm. can't stand it for someone else to beat you. Mm-hmm. Right. And it doesn't matter where that is. You just bring that competitive spirit to mm-hmm. everything that you do. Absolutely. What do you think are the, the ways that we can connect more in a prevention level? You know, a lot of people – a lot of people don't understand their value and don't understand the impact that they can make, right? Uh, you know, for my community, if we, like, we can sit back and wait on somebody to feel like we don't have enough, we don't have enough uh, prevention programs in our schools, and we don't have enough recovery houses out here in the community. And so if we just sit back and wait on leadership to fill that void, we're going to be waiting a long time. You know, I, I think that uh, they're finally coming around. They're finally understanding that we need these things. Um, just keep showing up. Just like I said, you know, how do you how do you make change? How how do you change something by consistent action? You got to keep at it. You know, it's just like changing that that culture, the mm-hmm. stigma. We just got to keep at it. We just got to keep spreading that message, right? Each and every day, anybody we come in contact with, it's important to let them know. But I I just think that uh you know we've made we've made been blessed to make some good contacts. Doctor Conley, who is over the Cherokee County Schools in Murphy, Andrews, Hayesville area. We're going to uh, hopefully be working with her and getting a prevention program started down there. I I hope she watches this. I might have to send it to her, kind of put her on the hot hot seat. But um, well, we're supposed to have a meeting with her, and it's just uh, you know Deb Forrest at Cherokee. She's been open to it, you know, and and they see the work that we're doing and consistently doing it. Right, we don't just show up one time and expect you may you know just make yourself so valuable that. People can't say no. Like, I see what they're doing is working. No, we need them in here. Cheryl, what what can we do collectively as the club, NC Raw, the podcast, our circle of friends, our social network? What can we do to support SEC in these efforts of continuing this conversation? What do you need from us? I think you guys are doing a great job. I I think the recovery, again, I keep going back to last week, um, that was pretty powerful. And, you know, we should be having those conversations here once a month. We should be be booking them. We should be bringing people together. Um, Folks will share that information with others. I think we could – I think we filled two rooms Mm -hmm. um, last week. Mm -hmm. Oh, wow. It was was next door. It was over there next door. I think two of these rooms were were full of folks. So what would that look like? Maybe like each month, like focus in on like a different topic and have it more of like a dialogue type conversation with the students? 
uh, I, stories, I think stories mm -hmm. are a great way to share information, um, especially when you have when you have students like we have who have come through the other side of the tunnel, when you have Caleb, when you have you here. Um, but then after that, it's, it's so, it, you know, we were talking about calling to action. So we, we have these stories. We have these people who are valuable, who want to be doing good things with their lives. And then it's like a relay race. So you have that baton, and then you hand it off to the next person and say, now what are we going to do? Mm -hmm. And so the next part are some of the things that we talked about in terms of the what do we do. We have support um, factors in place here through career counseling. Um, we have the human services program. We have personal counseling. We have disability services. We have learning centers. We have a, a wealth of ways students can do well here. What we don't have is the onboarding part. If so, the concerns that I had heard, and, and I keep going back to the taxes mm -hmm. and financial aid, we have not addressed that. Okay. So that's like the baton and saying, you guys have now put it in our hands. And so the next step is that we have somebody or we connect with somebody. And I, I think we can do that here with one of our instructors at the campus to set up some times to alleviate at least that concern. And so then the third leg of that race, I'm doing this because Caleb's a runner, you know. Yeah, I'm with you. <laughs> so I'm with you. The third leg of that race is that you have that interaction, but then the third part is that they actually get it done. You mm -hmm. know, you have the conversation. You, you get the information that you need. But then it's actually that that, that document is filed. Mm -hmm. And when you finish the race is when there is a aid report that goes back to someone or a tax report that goes back to say, you know, that, that's so we finished that complete race. Mm -hmm. we've, we've done leg one of that race. We are now in leg two. Yeah. I think in my personal experience, both going through the process and then also working with folks who have gone through the process is that um, it takes some sort of structured support from whether it be friends, family, peers, somebody to walk alongside you through that process. Um, I was in that same situation and I had like three years of taxes to file. My girlfriend at the time essentially like helped me like the hardest, like it's not just filing the taxes, right? It's tracking down the W-2s from when you worked at Burger King for six months and Wendy's for 30 days. And, mm -hmm. you know, like it's it's the legwork that's attached to that. Um, and she like really helped me with that. And I had already like um, filled out the application online. And so she was like, there's no turning back now. Like right. you, you, you are going to call this company and find your W-2. You know, here is the phone. Like, I'm dialing the number. You're going to find your W-2. And she really, like, um, I don't want to say forced, but she really influenced me to not give up. But we have, but it's great that you're saying that because you've done it. And I think a lot of times it's, it's like an essay paper in English. It's too daunting. Mm -hmm. But the fact that you've been through it and, and, and others have been through it, when you bring people together, you say – let us tell you what this is going to look like. We're going to do A, we're going to do B, we're going to C, and it's a, it's a nine-point plan, but, but it can be done. And I think that's it is people can conquer anything if they know what they're up against. And sometimes it's just too big. Oh, I can't ever get my taxes. Well, yeah, you can. You know, I can't file financial aid. Of course you can. But let me tell you what it's going to look like. Mm -hmm. And I think you would be great to do that. All right. I'm struggling with that right now, guys. <laughs> 
Caleb, let me introduce you uh, to For real, I'm like, <laughs> they, nice my, they need to get out of my mind right now because that's Nice just, to meet you, Caleb. Yeah, what's up, man? Um, I'm struggling with that right now. I've had to get Caitlin. I've never built a resume, and I know there's there's things, you know, there's apps out there, you know, computer we programs. Can help you. Here. Yeah. So have- I've never built a resume, right? And I, I pretty much have his job at Cherokee High School, working with the um, at risk youth up there, the reconnecting youth group. And they, they, you know, Reba Elders, one of the girl, one of the women up here the other day. She got to meet Lori. She was just like, "I need you." And I'm I'm sitting here thinking, now I can run. Uh, <laughs> it's in Oklahoma, but I can't do it. I mean, it just it just freaks me out. Like I, I just get overwhelmed because I've never really done that before, right? So y'all, I, you, <laughs> I need some prayers for sure. Yeah, and there's supports both myself and, and it's my criminal my people here who can help mm-hmm, you with that. Yeah, it's my criminal background. I got to go to. Jackson, I gotta go to Swang, I go to Cherokee, mm-hmm. I gotta get my stuff in Georgia, and I'm just like, oh my goodness. It's all those things I was just talking about. All yes, those, that yes. legwork, man, all that legwork. But uh, maybe that's it. Maybe we create a document that says this is what, you know, a checklist be, kind of yeah, thing. Yeah, there'll be yeah. a dozen scenarios, mm-hmm. but let us show you how this process works. And so if you get, and I, I look at it like <laughs> Caleb, he's just exhausted <laughs> thinking about it. You know, I, I, I consider this a little bit like the alphabet, right? Where, where Z is the goal mm-hmm. and, and that's, that's a completed form. And, and so like Caleb, from what he's saying right now, he's, he's starting back at like A, B, and C in the alphabet, right? Mm-hmm. And then other people come to us and they're at Elemento. Yeah. And so for Caleb, we need to show, all right, let us show you all these different touch points. Mm-hmm. And so you know where you are. In the process, it'll be okay, Caleb. I'm telling you, it it blows my mind because I can go in and speak at all these places. I can, you know, do all, and then it's just a simple application to get all my information. It just it, it overwhelms me. <laughs> That's exactly what we're talking about. Steve, it'll be okay. I know, I know. We'll get him through it. I have a question from somebody in the chat that's watching remotely. Ginger Harper. Stream the dream. Would like to know what does she think about providing a safe space like a peer living room on campus? almost like a community room for people in recovery that's mm. a safe place where once a week people can come in and assist with financial aid and tax services people can hang out whenever necessary like it's an open space but certain times of the week or month there are people there to assist with those needs who is that ginger ginger great Strain question the dream it's a great question so uh two things ginger um we so we do have we currently have our financial aid office uh, obviously we have a staff of four there and they are in their offices all day every day and students can just pop in and, and we like to think that we always have a safe place uh, for that during um tax financial aid seasons they have dedicated time and, and in the past it's been like one to three one to four several days a week we're just focusing on financial aid um, so that a- answers half of your question the other half is we have had this um, same question from our veterans, um, our, our military students, mm-hmm. um, where they were looking to have a kind of a ded- dedicated, designated area um, that gave them a, a safe place to go if they were experiencing some post-traumatic stress or just needed to get out of the classroom, out of the building. And the college, I'm very happy to say, is very responsive to that. So our veterans group had asked for that, I want to say, three years ago. Um, and we have um, dedicated some area, we call it the Eagle's Nest, for, for our veterans group that they can mm-hmm. go. And, and we don't, you know, kick anybody out if I happen to walk up one day and just wanted to sit in the gazebo and enjoy the view. But um, we have done that before uh, as a college and are always happy to entertain um, 
you know, those places. I think for you, you know, what, what I would want you to know is that at any point in time, you can come to our financial aid office and, and feel safe and supported in there in terms of filing your financial aid. And we do have areas for computers and that that you, you can send and get comfortable. you got a safe place. I can go in there and get my transcripts here in a few minutes. <laughs> you need your transcripts, Caleb. Yeah, I need we to do can that get too. your transcripts. <laughs> well, yes, Caleb. Yes, we can. Okay. All right. Awesome. I know where you're going after this. He's going to be asking me for money next, isn't he? <laughs> <laughs> I saw Lori back there talking to him. It made me nervous in the back of the room. She's coaching him up. So we're planning his next run. We're looking, oh, for, yeah. we're looking for a sponsor. So. Yeah, a few sponsors. <laughs> I was joking, but yeah. Well, you really are. <laughs> we're, we're taking the show on the road, the podcast. We don't know exactly the route, but we're working on a route. Okay, I have no idea what you guys are talking about right now. So he he ran on um he ran on his last run from mm-hmm. Oklahoma. I mean, from Cherokee to Oklahoma okay, along yep. the Trail of Tears. Nice. Mm-hmm. How many miles? Eight hundred miles. Seven hundred seventy-seven in forty days. Yeah. And so we're looking at another run along the west coast of the U.S. from Mexico to Canada. We will probably have to drive some of it because the roads will be dangerous in spots. But, yeah, it's it's looking like a 2,000-mile journey. And we're taking this podcast on the road with us. We're so we're going to start fundraising and filming. Is it like a recovery run? Is well, that that's why I want to take, I would like to take, uh, I'm going to put a post out here. Soon I was actually thinking about it the past couple of days of uh, just putting it out there to say, hey, if, you, if you're if you in early recovery um, and you would like to go, especially enrolled members because we get per cap, right? And a lot of people, especially um, people that's in early, early recovery, just kind of blow their per cap. So I would encourage them to put their per cap in to uh, help fund this run and come along this journey. And also maybe some at-risk youth, one or two. Maybe take a group of like four, mm-hmm. Steve and I, and then like four others. Well, then along your run, get every cross-country team on that side of the nation just uh-huh. to, for – for yeah. critical mass and view. Say, I'm going to be in your area. Come train with well, me. Well, they run that's, with a great, that's a great idea. I've already been speaking to a man about that they're trying, we're going to try to make a documentary of my last run, and they want to document this, this next one as well. Nice. So Awesome. Well, thank you, Cheryl, for joining us. It's been a pleasure. Thank you for doing Thank you, Cheryl. You do. Yeah, you're, you're amazing. Welcome, <laughs> I, I am so grateful to be a student on this campus and have the support of all of you guys. I w- we wouldn't be doing this podcast if it wasn't for the things that you guys have done for us. We're so. grateful for you. Thank you. Thank I'm you. I'm thankful to be a former student, possibly. Future. Uh, future. Future. Yeah. Former slash future. Next up on the podcast, we have the late great. Trevor Gates coming up to the plate. Real quick, uh, before Trevor sits down and gets up on this microphone, um, to Thursday night, tomorrow night, at the Western Carolina University Fountain, the Catafount outside there um, in the little courtyard, we're having a recovery rockathon. DJ Tech, my man, DJ Hook, not DJ Tech, that was last year. DJ Hook will be performing from 7 p.m. till 9 p.m. We invite all of our NC Raw allies out to join us, to participate, get it in on the fun. Caleb's going to be speaking. I'm going to be speaking. 
just going to be a big party. We're going to be hanging out, listening to some good music. Trevor's bringing his dancing shoes. <laughs> it's going to be a, a big-time party. Thursday, tomorrow, September 27th, from 7 to 9 p.m. With DJ Hook. What kind of music are you going to be playing? Dude, all kinds, man. Music that makes you want to dance. Like techno, you're going to be out there with your glow sticks. Yeah, dude, I very well might. I've been, I've been in the club scene, son. Ybor City. <laughs> um, I got some good dance moves. Trevor's got some. Welcome to the show, Trevor Gates. Hello. How you Trevor doing, bro? Trevor Gates. Doing Any, good. Are you kin to Kevin Gates? Uh, if I do, he owes me money, just like Bill Gates does. <laughs> Birthday money for the past 23 years. Who are you, man? I am a recovery ally, mm-hmm. um, student in the human services program. Um, I'm also uh, a per- an individual who's been personally affected by addiction, and recovery is right now the my whole life. And why is that? Because recovery not only helps um, the people um, who are addicted, it helps people who... Um, lose their fa- their family members lose their loved ones lose their friends to the substances and to the behaviors that they get trapped in they might not be deceased but for a while they're they're gone you know they're not present in that in those people's lives my mother wasn't for for quite a while that's what i was going to ask you have a personal connection i do my mom is a recovering alcoholic recovering addict um and it was one of the the more harsher stories, the one one that had to almost end badly to get better. Um, the last time she drank, line uh, th- three going on no four years ago, four yeah about four years ago maybe a little bit more. Uh, the last time she drank landed her in the hospital on life support. Um, last time she used, and I was the last person to uh, talk to her. It was pretty early in the morning. I was alone uh, with her because my dad had went out to get us some food, and I just started talking to her. I didn't know she she wasn't conscious when I started, but I started talking to her. I said, "Mama, you gotta. I know you probably can't hear me, and I don't know if you ever will hear me again, because the doctor had told us that the next 12 hours were crucial." And I said, "I know you probably can't hear me, and I ho- don't know if you will again, but please know that if you do get out of this, I need you." to fight this i need you i can't lose you now i can't you haven't seen me walk the walk the stage you hasn't you haven't seen me have kids you haven't seen me get married i need you here and i went through this and in the middle of it she had woke up but i was still rolling on and she grabbed my hand um and and told just told me i'm gonna be here and she fought to stop and she's here today. She's here to this day and thriving. And what, after going through that, right? What, what type of action did you personally take? Like, how did you become involved? And how did you start applying some of these recovery-based skills that we practice to your personal life? And how has that helped you? Well, recovery has helped me so much. Um, after. That all that with my mom, and that's for some couple other instances. Um, I didn't knew what I wanted to do. I was already in college, 
but I didn't really know what I wanted to do. I had dreams of doing this, be a music teacher, be a history teacher, this, that. I, I didn't have a direction. But when that happened with my mom, I knew what I wanted to do. I wanted to help people. I didn't know how. That's why I'm really glad with the work that um, we're doing to get the human programs like the human services and substance abuse programs out there because um, at the time I didn't know about it. And, but I knew I wanted to help people. So I, I knew I wanted to make sure that no other son, no other daughter, no other husband or wife had to look as their loved one was being ripped away from them by forces they couldn't control. Because that's what always, on my end, was the worst thing, is if I wished it was a person hurting her and not a substance, because I could have you know, physically stopped a person. Um, but for me, recovery has... It saved my life because when me and you first met, I was really suffering um, with severe mental illnesses, with my uh, vi- uh, visual disability. Um, I had severe depression, severe anxiety, and I was on the verge of suicide. And when we, when you when we met in the program, and you pestered me a little bit to come to your group every other week, I'd blow you off. Pestered. <laughs> how, how how would you blow him off, Trevor? I just I just go yeah yeah I'll, I'll come sooner or later. I don't drive. I, I I don't have a ride. You know what I say? Bunch of excuses. You're like you're like I'll give you a ride. I'm like, yeah, I got a paper to write, and I'd give a lot of excuses. Um, but then I came. I finally came. And I was like, fine. And it was like it 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 was going to be a crucial weekend because I was planning to end a lot of end everything that weekend. Mm-hmm. I was really bad off. Um, so what was it about, what was it that made you show up? Uh, Why was this time different? This time was different because I think I had people who um, actually made an effort to get me, um, to for me to be there, and wanted me there, wanted me around. I wasn't just um, a number. I wasn't just um, another client or a paycheck. I was a friend, and I was, um, you know, a person that I felt that they cared about, and they made me see that. So I so I went, and part of the reason I went is because you were an addict, so I knew you were a lot like my mother. And I was like, okay, well, I trust my mother. I'll trust him. Um, and just did that one meeting, the overwhelming, overwhelming feeling of support from being introduced. I didn't know any of them. Was that over there at Western or was that here? That was, were we, wasn't that Western at the coffee shop? I think so. Yeah, that was at the coffee shop. Um, just that overwhelming support. I didn't know any of them. I, didn't, I only knew Steve and that was barely. And they all showed me this overwhelming amount of, of kindness. And... Something in it made me made me want to to not hurt myself, not to end everything that weekend. I knew I had something in me had changed just from being around those people. You also really pretty rapidly committed yourself to applying these practices and these skills that we were working on both together in and in integrating them into your personal life, like outside of that group dynamic. What were the results of that, and why? What? 
inspired you to continue doing those things? Um, well, I, <clears throat> like with meditation, that was one of the practices we uh, were really focused on. Once I, um, with the encouragement of the group, stuck with it, I was one of those people that thought, you know, I can't meditate. I have severe ADHD. I can't shut my mind off. Um, and that was the misconception that stopped me for a while of trying meditation because misconception is you have to be able to shut your mind off, and that's not it. It's ignoring your mind. Um, the result of it was I was able to grow. I was able to live, finally able to live. Because um, I'll tell you this day, tw- 22 years worth of life, and not a lot of it was lived. It was just I was there. Um, but once I was able to, one, change my relationship with my thoughts. Because coming in that group, we were studying um, Buddhist-oriented practices and just the knowledge of the truth that we are not our thoughts, that self-identifying with my thoughts was um, unskillful and just unnecessary because that's not who you are. That's not who we are, what we think of ourselves. And I wasn't this fat, blind piece of nothing that I thought I was. And once that discon- once I disconnected from that, I connected with who I really was, and I connected with real people with real who really cared about me. And I just flew with it. And it every bit of my life just blew up in different ways, from how I handled um, stressful situations to how I handled the news that my vision was um, actively and rapidly deteriorating. So is it safe to say, Trevor, that the love that Steve and the rest of the group showed you transformed you and just the way that they made you uh, feel welcome and, and give you that sense of purpose and that sense of family, right? Exactly. Um, and that's, that's what so many of us need. And I, I'm glad that you kind of touched on, you know, you're not your thoughts. You're not some – I think you're amazing, Trevor. Thank you. I and think I'm you're glad amazing to know too. You. I appreciate that, buddy. Um, so I heard you say – I heard you say, Steve, you're an addict, right? Is that what Steve is, or is that something he experiences? Something he experienced. Right. Cause yeah, I, sorry about that. It means no, it's it's that. good. And that, that's, hey, man, um, that means you're teachable. Uh, you know, I think that's how we're going to break that stigma, right, is to uh, not, not have that illness identity, but a wellness identity. It's like uh, Lori said, speaking life into somebody, speaking life over them, and just realize that, you know, just because – that's what that's our experience that's our past doesn't mean that's what we are right exactly just like you said you know right after you said right after you said that you was like well i'm not i'm not my thoughts you know you're so much more than that and you are and i'm glad you're here trevor thank you hell yeah me too so how did you um you mentioned that throughout this process in the last like two or three years have you been really working on yourself and intentionally taking action to improve your well-being you experienced some significant loss in regards to your disability and your vision how did how did those skills that you have applied allow you to kind of gain a level of, of acceptance with what was taking place in your life 
Well, um, those skills and those and the practices and the um, support system that I had built around me um, acted as a uh, acted as um, a safety net that I was able to fall into. Because before that, if I would have learned that you know that my vision was deteriorating um, two years prior, it would it would have been like, oh well, everything's over and nothing's worth anything now. Um, but right when it happened, I think um, I think I called you right when it happened. Right at, shortly after I got out of the eye doctor, and they told me, and you gave me encouraging words. I went to Lori and. Clancy and um, Nicole Connor right after and I'll never forget what Lori Clancy told me Um, and it's probably the thing that stopped me from falling into a really deep depression um, right after that because I went to her and I told her and it was obvious to her probably everyone I talked about that I was it was affecting me that the thought of never being able to see my loved one's faces again or my friends was uh, jarring and but she told me she said you're not I can tell you're you're getting depressed but you're not going to go down that road because I'm not going to let you and something about that was it 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 she didn't let me then and the other and the uh, the sport around me didn't let me it helped because I was able to look past this um, loss and grieve I had to grieve my own vision (laughs) didn't see that coming (laughs) <laughs> no pun intended <laughs> Trevor You're a warrior man Dude he is bro <laughs> he, he seriously is man Thank well, you Let me Let me Let me Let me chew his horn a little bit Talk to us about your goals bro Tell us what you what, What's next for Trevor Where are you headed Where are you taking this thing Well uh, uh I got some short term goals One short term goal is um, This is a little bit of an advertisement Because I want as many people to come to this as possible but right now and I just um, started the process of making sure it can happen but I next uh, July I will hopefully be at um, be in Boston for the um, 10th National Collegiate Recovery Conference um, doing a presentation along with my partner on ableism and recovery and also specifically ableism with people in recovery um, I'd gotten this uh, inspiration to do this when I went to the Ninth National Collegiate Recovery Conference um, last this past July. And I went to a lot of these uh, social justice talks and talking about how recovery is not just one issue. It's every issue. It's a holistic um, um, it's a holistic thing. It's, a, it's everything, everything that that addict, um, not sorry. That person suffering through addiction, addiction, alcoholism, a disability, mental illness—it's mm-hmm. everything. It we, they, we have to talk about racism. We have to talk about sexism. We have to talk about ableism. So, I'm—I just submitted my application to the Collegiate Recovery Leadership Academy through ARHE. Um, I, I'm terrible with acronyms, so if you can look up what the full acronym <laughs> I means. I am too, Trevor. I can't stand them. It's and there's another one. It's also through the Safe Program. I can't remember the acronyms, but they're an amazing organization, and they'll be connecting me with other people, connecting me and my partner with other people um, to help us one fund our research and fund the um, 
and assist us on the on the research. And I'll be talking about um, the ableism, and he'll be talking about how it relates to racism. We admit at the conference last July, and we admit sort of in a funny way, but once the misunderstanding was cleared up, we became really, really close. Um, I'd gotten to the University of Houston. Um, you don't mind if I tell the funny story, do you? Bring it, man. <laughs> I'd gotten to the University of Houston, um, and it was late, and it was my first time on an airplane, so I was really tired. And with, once I got oriented in my room, I knew where the bathroom was, I knew where my room was. I didn't know if anyone was anyone was there. Um, but I'd gotten my stuff to um, unpacked and got ready to um, go to bed. So I went out, um, went to the bathroom, and because I was really tired and I wasn't paying attention, usually because of my vision, I make sure to clean up so there's no pee on the seat. Um, and But I didn't because I was tired, so I didn't do that um, little bit of what I do to make sure I don't make a mess because I can't see. And in the morning, he had confronted me. He had said that, um, yo, you, you peed on the seat. That's not cool, dude. Can you watch out next time? And I'm like, I'm so sorry. I didn't I did not mean to. And I didn't tell him that, you know, I'm visually impaired. I just didn't see. I just said, you know, I'm sorry. And later in the, as I went back to get ready, I walked out um, with my cane, with my glasses, the indicator that I had a visual problem. He automatically uh, started talking to me. It was a different vibe between me and him. And he helped me get to where we were going to volunteer and get, get to the conference. Um, and we started to bond. And later in the day, as we were sitting outside um, and everybody's conversating, he stops me and he says, you know, I want to apologize for my comment earlier. He says, I didn't realize that there were clear reasons for for um, you know what you did, and it wasn't because you were just being rude or inconsiderate. And, and once we made that connection, we spent the whole conference together. And about the and about the um, Wednesday, the fi- um, the third fourth day, um, he had he had stopped me again as we were just hanging out um, in between our shifts, and he's asked me, he's like, I know you can't see. But do you realize how the looks of um, do you realize how many people give us both weird looks when we're walking together? Because they would see a, an African American man and a blind man walking together, and they do stuff that was just disrespectful and inconsiderate to uh, me or uh, to me or him. And whenever I went to these social justice talks and realized I wanted to do this, he asked if he could be a part of it because he wanted to show that when we treat people by uh, we would treat people badly because of race or because of um, disabilities or because of illnesses like addiction we are just we're doing everything wrong when we focus on those things when we don't focus on the, the soul and the person that they are so that's a short term goal there's going to be a lot of research there's going to be um, a lot of meeting of the minds between me and him getting this ready and hopefully I'll be able to talk about it on stage in, at, in Boston so what I'm hearing is the kid that I met in this camp in the classroom 
two years ago on the first day of school who walked into class, sat over in the corner all by himself, wouldn't say a word, came into class, left class, quiet, shy, is going to the National Collegiate Recovery Conference to present as a presenter. Mm -hmm. And two years later. Two years later. Surprising to me, too. <laughs> Congratulations, buddy. Yeah, I'm proud of you. Real quick, Trevor, tell us about those long-term goals, man. Well, the long-term goals is the... I know you got a lot of them. The pieces of paper. Yeah, come on, tell me. <laughs> the pieces of paper. I'm going to be um, getting my bachelor's and master's in social work, and then since I won't be um, too, too old by the time that, that's over, I'm going straight for the doctorate in clinical psychology to open up a lot more doors and stretch my reach and I'll be living a life of helping improve the quality of life of others and that's that's all I ever wanted so in other words you're gonna be changing the world Trevor exactly (laughs) exactly I appreciate you sitting down with us Trevor I look forward to doing a full podcast with you in the very near future having you on and as long as you'll give me a ride. Really sitting down. <laughs> you know where to find me, brother. You know where to find me. Thank, Thank you, Trevor. Trevor. Thank you, you buddy. Love you, dude. Oh. <laughs> Kayla McCoy. What's up? Not much, man. What's going on? Nothing, man. I'm excited uh, for our next, our next guest here. You heard, um, I don't know, I think you had stepped out, but you, you heard me talking about uh, tomorrow night, right? Uh yeah, Western at Western. Yeah, you gonna be there? I told you I was gonna be there. I gotta speak at at a Mike football practice. At a Mike football practice, but I'll be there right after that. Seven to nine. Yeah, I'll be there about seven. The Catamounts fan, uh, Fountain. I'm bringing my glow sticks. What's it called? The Catamounts Fountain. Catamounts Fountain. I don't know. What's it called, Larry? The big fountain in the middle of the campus. You can't miss it. Yeah, it's right in the middle. Okay. Big, Okay. Yeah, so. The quad. The quad. All right, I'll see you at the quad with the glow sticks, doing some techno, dancing. I'm getting after it, man. You gonna be, hey, you going to have your two-piece Res Hope bathing suit on? I'm my two-piece Res Hope bathing suit on. You can find pictures of that by visiting my Instagram, at Steve. <laughs> Throw me some love. Caleb's been giving me a hard time for like two months about some two-piece res <laughs> that he wants to see me wear. I got to ask, man. We got another guest at the table. Lori reached out to me, um, and she was like, hey, you know, um, Bob would like – I've been talking with Bob about coming on the podcast, and Bob agreed to come on the podcast, and we exchanged some emails back and forth, and then Bob comment, sent me an email, and he was like, hey – if you know Caleb, then I guess you're a good guy. <laughs> I was like, Did he really? Yeah. So I uh, appreciate Bob. that, Bob. Hey, how you doing? Good, man. How are you? I'm fantastic. Enjoying my day. Introduce yourself. Who are you? Where, why are you here? <clears throat> okay. My name is Bob Cummings. I work with a company called Red Oak Recovery. And um, yeah. uh, uh, I do a handful of things, actually. My, my main job is staff recruitment and training, but they also kind of give me this side office of uh, doing what's called prevention work. And prevention work is where my heart really is. And that's uh, working with the public or schools or Southwestern Community College and working in the science of prevention. And in doing that, I'm doing 
uh, trainings for people and, and uh, classes and so on and so forth in the community addressing substance abuse. Uh, and I get to hang out with Caleb McCoy, which is like kind of the, the joy of my. That was my yeah. next. That was yeah. my next question: is how do you guys know each other? Tell me oh, about. That. Oh, you don't know? No. Oh, we were part of an opioid summit in Buncombe County. That um, uh, we had several hundred kids from Buncombe County, and I think Madison County came on, and um, one of the ladies who had had uh, arranged it approached me. She said, hey, there's a gentleman named Caleb McCoy who is going to be speaking today, and I want you to meet him. And and I did. I think Caleb and I kind of hit it off uh, pretty quick. We've done some back and forth, and I think both of us are very involved in, in recovery. I think both of us are very involved in, in spiritually-based recovery. And um, so, yeah, we just kind of we do stuff and hang out. Go ahead. Is that pretty accurate, <laughs> man? Yeah, that's what I was. I was waiting for a follow up, but um, I remember Bob was showing a video, and I asked some foolish question. I can't remember. <laughs> I was like, "So what I hear you saying, it was reflective listening, but that's not at all what he was saying." But uh, <laughs> that's kind of how we we started building that bond, and um, I got to get up there and tell my story, which I was really nervous at that time, but I've gotten a lot better and I've grown a lot. And um, yeah, you did great. I, by the way, you were super. Thank you, Bob. I sure, appreciate. It. I definitely. I broke down over there in front mm-hmm. of all them kids, you know. And that, that's that's exactly what was supposed to happen. It was a it was an amazing time, and looking forward to doing the next one. Dude, I tell you what, and they always say this in recovery, just in life. But this guy right here, he he is his own worst enemy. He goes up on stage and crushes it, and then he comes <laughs> to the podcast on Monday, and he's like, "Man, I just I just I just got to work on my speaking skills. I got to work on this." And I'm like, "Dude." Dude, you had that. You had them on edge. You had them popping, dude. What um, so what? Talk to us a little bit, Bob, about what you do at Red Oaks Recovery, a little more in detail, and like the relationship with SCC. Like, why are you here just today? Okay, neat. Sure, I, I do want to kind of break in and say something about that opioid summit, if I can. That I think is, is significant. And um, at the end, the last session, we had these hundreds of kids break up into groups. And these are high school kids, all right? They broke up into groups. And one of the questions they were asked was, what, what do you want from, from us? And us, meaning the adults who were, were running the, the opioid summit. And us was me and Dr. Basil Savitsky with, uh, with uh, RHA Prevention and, and Caleb and so on. And it was fascinating that uh, every group that came and spoke and answered the question, what do you want from us? Every group of teenagers said we want adults who are examples and who will help us and who will support us. And I was expecting them to say something like, well, you know, we want you to leave us alone and let us find our way or whatever. But every group said we want adults who will support us and be examples and mentor us and help us work through this thing called teenage early adult life. Uh, And I thought that was pretty significant. So for, for the adults listening, you know, teenagers play the rebellious game and so on, because that, that's part of their, their developmental task. But they, they want you to be a parent. They want you to be an example. So so before you showed up today, Bob, we spoke with our dean of students, Cheryl Conti-Connor, and we were talking about discussions like that. And one of the questions that I asked her, because we, we recognize the importance, is like we have these, these moments, these events, these connections and a lot of times they stop right there. And one of the things that Cheryl was talking about is continuing that conversation yeah. mm-hmm. because we had a pretty pretty, not, pretty good event last week, a kind of panel discussion 
about collegiate recovery with our students, and they were very open about their experience, uh, about their past. And a lot, of, a lot of the administrators, a lot of people that were in attendance, they were pretty, they, they self-disclosed a lot of information that many of these folks didn't, weren't aware of. Um, and it was a powerful experience. And, and so Cheryl talked about the importance of continuing that conversation. So for this, for this event that you guys went to, how do you continue that conversation with these kids who clearly are, in a way, reaching out, mm-hmm. right? <clears throat> yeah, I was going to talk. Bob and I need to get uh, the woman's name. I'm sure you probably know who it is. She's a counselor at A.C. Reynolds. Do you remember a woman from there? It sounds like Sharon Fish is who you're talking about. No, it wasn't Sharon, but it was. I, I know Laura Sharon. McCreary, maybe. McCreary, that's okay, yeah, who it yeah. was. You'll be go back. She reached out to me a few weeks ago, and we're going to have like a follow up over there at the school. And so, I mean, just things like that, right? Just always, you know, fostering that relationship and figuring out, like, you know, I mean, because like we, like we were saying, I mean, if you're going to make some change, you got to engage in consistent action. It's got to be something. You know, you can't just do one time and lay it down. You, you know, mm-hmm. and I think that uh, are are we planning another one this year? We are. I've been in touch with Dr. Savitsky, and uh, we're planning another one of those. And, and to tail on what you just said, I was in contact. Actually, I was in contact with Laura McCreary yesterday uh, in reference to a student of hers who's doing a senior project, and she wants to do it on opioid addiction. Mm-hmm. So, uh, so the, that, that, that's one person we're gonna we're gonna that, reach that's out. That's a high school again. student. Yeah, yeah, that's huge. Yeah, man. senior year. Mm-hmm. Um, That's huge. I'm in contact with um, Nicole Colleen from uh, Irwin High School. You know, we're going to talk about doing some stuff, substance abuse 101 and so on at Irwin High School. So uh, there is follow-up. Uh, I've been uh, in communication with, Dr., with I'm sorry, Mr. David Thompson, who's the director of student services from Buncombe County Schools, and we were talking about putting me in, in all the high schools doing stuff. Um, Red Oak Recovery, who I work for, is opening up an adolescent program in Ellenboro, North Carolina. So I'm looking at making some connections in the Ellenboro area. Um, and and I, I agree with, with, with Caleb that, you know, someone standing on a stage and telling a story or whatever, uh, it, it doesn't fix anything. It opens a door mm-hmm. to follow up. And because resources are limited, uh, we can't follow up with everybody. But then there's also going to be somebody, either one student or one school or whatever that allows us to follow up and do our job and that's that's what we're looking forward to so what's life at red oak like life at red oak is interesting i love red oak um i've been there almost three years and i've had five positions and the one i have right now to me is just bonnaroo uh and when i say that i've had five positions one of the cool things about red oak recovery is that we uh we promote from within and we like to have people who, who show good attitude and who work hard and are consistent. We like to move them up. And if I can kind of explain what Red Oak is, we're, we're a family of addiction recovery programs. We have a male campus in uh, Leicester, Big Sandy Mush, uh, Leicester. And um, uh, we're a 90-day program, and we work with young adults, and we're, we're, we're clinically based. But we also have a very good outdoor element. We have a female program for young adult women in Fairview, the other side of Asheville, and it's much the same. We have, we're clinically based during the week. We have outdoor activities on the weekend. And um, like I said, we have, we're opening up the program in Ellenboro. My job as staff recruitment and training director is to find good staff uh, who are consistent, who work hard, who have an empathy, and who have a desire to, uh, to help 
uh, and who can be consistent and do a good job. And my job is to, to find them, hire them, and then train them in the Red Oak way. And one of the really cool things about Red Oak is that the, the entry-level positions, what we call either clinical tech or recovery guide, someone doesn't have to have an advanced degree to, to come in. They have to have good attitude. It helps to have a working knowledge of addiction recovery, um, and they have to be willing to work and, and do their job. And then once someone comes into the, the program as a staff member, we work toward things like helping them uh, with their certified substance abuse counselor uh, certification. And we work on helping me in school, et cetera. So, so I'm here today uh, because uh, Southwestern has sent us staff, and every staff member we've had from Southwestern has moved up to a management or supervisory position, and I want more. So I'm... I'm here. So you're here I, recruiting? I'm here daggum recruiting. I'm, I'm headhunting. Uh, I'd <laughs> hire cool. Caleb if he'd let me. You got some he, job applications? <laughs> well, you know, here, look, just, here's my number, all right? Call me. We got you. I just might do that, Bob. Cool. Um, well, there you go. <laughs> <laughs> He's smacking me. <laughs> Bring it on. Yeah, it's a, uh, I, you know, I've had a, lot of, I've had a lot of fellow students show interest in your program and interest in working there. Uh, I know you guys do do just fantastic work, and um, what interests me a little bit about what you guys are doing is kind of something that me and Caleb have talked about on previous episodes of the podcast, and that's investing in people, right? You're not looking for people who have all the credentials. Correct. Who have the long list of recognition and all that stuff. You're looking for pe- genuine people. Correct. Who are passionate about the field, passionate about being of service, um, and who are driven to f- on more reasons than just like that financial kind of like aspect of the job. And Absolutely. I just totally commend you for that. People don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. Right? Perfect. Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. For real. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, and, uh, and Red Oak Recovery has found over the, over the four years, four and a half years that we've been, we've been open that, um, Letters behind a name don't necessarily make a good employee. And if I have somebody with a bachelor's degree or a master's degree who doesn't have empathy and who doesn't care and who, uh, who doesn't love their job and the people they work with, then, then I don't want them. I mean, mm-hmm. Give me somebody with, without those credentials who understands recovery and who understands how to, uh, how to talk and how to share and how to communicate and who, who sets their own good personal boundaries who shows up on time, gives us their best, that's who I'm going for. Let's talk a little bit about how you ended up working at Red Oak Recovery. <laughs> that's an interesting story. I've, I, uh, uh, my own recovery began over 30 years ago, and um, my recovery started, uh, I was listening to part of the previous interview, and what, what caught me was uh, the gentleman's statement of, of one person showed an interest and my recovery began when one person showed an interest in me as a person he was uh, he had been my high school uh, ecology teacher and Nelson Bennett Dr. Nelson Bennett from Eastridge Tennessee had this this ability to hone in on on problem kids and Nelson did that with me and um, kind of out, of out of nowhere just one day uh, Nelson said, hey, I'm going backpacking this weekend. Do you want to go? And to me, that was like the most, what in, are you talking about? Uh, and I wanted to say, do you know who I am? <laughs> uh, but I didn't because I, I just didn't. I, I don't even know why now I didn't. But then Nelson 
I went. Actually, I came up with excuses. I said, no, no, man, I don't have any equipment. I don't have, I've never done that before in my life. He said, that's fine. I'll take care of it. So I went and, and I experienced, uh, I experienced God in, in the outdoors. And I didn't, I didn't identify it at that point uh, as God, but I experienced God in the outdoors. And then that led to other trips. By the end of that school year, I was canoeing up in Canada uh, with Nelson Bennett and a group of other kids from Eastridge High School, and um, and when I came, like all addicts, I came to a turning point where I had to make a decision of what 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 way am I going to go? As the as they say in, in AA, I stood at the turning point, uh, and half measures avail us nothing. So at that point, I, I made a decision to uh, to seek recovery, um, to not pull a trigger, not jump off a cliff, not not take a handful of pills, I've decided to, to enter recovery. So, so I did. And, um, by God's grace years, I mean, shortly after that, I began working in recovery. And then, um, and again, this, this was old school. This is, this was the old days. Mm-hmm. And then worked a series of jobs, worked street ministry with, uh, in Knoxville, Tennessee, I worked at the Knox area or the, the rescue mission downtown in Asheville for five years as the, uh, assistant director, et cetera. And, um, I actually came to Red Oak because I was solo canoeing in uh, in Fontana Lake several years ago, and as I was putting in, there was a group of, of people putting in um, their canoes, and then I was gone for three days and came back, um, and this same group of people was, was coming out, and I said, hey, you know, where are y'all from? And this lady said, Red Oak Recovery, and I thought, I've, I've not heard of that, but it sounds interesting, so... Uh, I did some research and and found what it was. It was a good bona fide uh, program. And then about a month and a half later, I looked in, in um, Mountain Express and saw an ad for program manager. And I was working at um, RHA Prevention Services at that point, and um, and not, not to make disparaging political comments, but. But nationwide, in the previous administration, prevention budgets were going down. Now, what's interesting is that research shows for every dollar spent in substance abuse prevention, you save seven. So the government's move was to start cutting prevention dollars. And I, I saw the writing on the wall and, and just kind of knew that, that what I was doing was, was going to stop. At that point, a job position came up in the Red Oak. I took it, and uh, that was almost three years ago. One thing that I really wanted to ask you about that um, I noticed in your bio, and I have no experience, let me just preface this, but I'm, by saying I'm not knowledgeable in this field at all. However, I'm very interested in how it may relate to recovery, general well-being, mental health. You are an experienced martial artist. I, uh, I, I like the martial arts a lot. Uh-huh. Yeah. <laughs> don't seem so excited about he, it. He I I believe he's uh being modest, you know. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I uh yeah. I just uh, I've heard so much about I don't even watch MMA. I don't like watch any of that what? fighting stuff. No, I don't. I just don't. But I totally can relate to and see the value in the discipline mm-hmm. of martial arts. Like my sister her um, like 10-year-old now has been, you know, 
dealt with some issues in school and he has never been involved in sports and that and when I was growing up sports was what kind of like did it for me but he's never been involved in sports and he's never really like found his place found that type of like connection and I suggested martial arts I was like that you know just to give you to learn that discipline and learn that connection with others and respect. how that respect and all of those things um you guys doing any of that kind of stuff like at Red Oaks with like martial arts per se yeah no we we initially started when i first came on on board we we did uh i, I studied shaolin kung fu and uh-huh. I'm, I'm a master level uh in shaolin kung fu and um <laughs> there the, the when i first came on board we we, we tried but uh-huh. the clients didn't want to work as hard as i was teaching Okay. Um, and <laughs> what does that look like, Bob? You know, I, listen, I'm sorry. I can't. Uh, half measures avail is nothing. All right? If you're going to do Kung Fu, you're going to do I mean, Kung Fu itself means means craftsmanship. Gong, mm-hmm. gong means energy. Fu means time. So en- energy plus time equals craftsmanship. And there, there's no way to halfway do craftsmanship. So, so we, we kind of sort of tried to do, you know, a little punch, a little kick, that kind of stuff. And, and, uh, but I, you know, I mean, this is hard work. Real kung fu is hard work, and uh, and we found that the clients simply didn't didn't really want to work quite that hard. So uh, so we we tried for a while, then it, it didn't work. So uh, so I stopped training in martial arts at Red Oak. I want to show you something. Go ahead. Go ahead. Uh-oh. I don't know. What to, I have no idea. <laughs> yeah, where I'm, he's I'm going kind of scared now. I'm I do worried. not go. What does uh, your personal recovery look like? Like, how do you balance um, doing what you do at Red Oaks and still like maintain your personal? That's a good question. I, I've often said, and I've, I've maintained that working recovery hasn't really helped my recovery mm-hmm. because uh, to, when I'm I'm on company time, my job is to to do my job. Actually, I, I owned a, a martial arts school for 15 years in West Asheville called Shaolin Kung Fu of Asheville. And, and I can also reflect that over. Owning a Kung Fu school didn't help my Kung Fu because my job was teaching people not doing my own Kung Fu. So to answer your question, uh, I, I have to actively and assertively work my recovery. My recovery is very spiritually based. Mm-hmm. Uh, my wife and I are very active in our church. Um, my wife is not in, in recovery from addiction, but she fully understands me and how how I have to work a program and so on. And we, uh, she's the best friend I've ever had in my life. We're going on six, actually sixteen years and twelve days, I think, uh, of being married. She's wonderful. But uh, aside from work, we were again we're involved in our church. We're involved in we have a house church that meets in our house on Tuesdays, and uh, we're active there. Uh, my wife works at Pathways Center, Haywood Pathways mm-hmm. Center in Waynesville, and uh, we initiated uh, a 12-step meeting there called the 12 Steps According to the Ancient Christian Path, which was developed by uh, an Orthodox Christian priest named Father Paisius Altschul. It's very very closely aligned with the 12 Steps, but it's, it's an Orthodox and a Christian um, standpoint or, or basis. So... Uh, we started that several weeks ago. We're actually doing step 12 this coming Thursday. So we have a pretty consistent group that meets. And, and um, uh, so we're active in that. And, and, you know, I mean, even though we're supposedly the, the group leaders, 
I, I get so much out of that group because, you know, I, I have a nice house. I have a good job, et cetera. And when I go and, and we do this group and these people who live in a homeless shelter and, and are struggling for, for jobs or whatever, and they're, they're peaceful, they're happy, they're, they're, they, they minister to us, and they say things to, to help my wife and I. Um, you know, that's, that's jazzy. That's super. Um, I'm also part of a group called Western North Carolina Orthodox, and once a month we, we cook dinner at, at Pathways. I, th- I think the easy answer to your question is that, that we continue, I continue working my, my spiritual program. I do service when I can. Um, uh, I help where I can. The, the church that we're involved in is very insight-oriented. In other words, just a lot of time spent um, taking my own personal inventory, and then when I'm wrong, promptly confessing it. Uh, whether it's to my wife or to somebody else or to the priest or or whoever, but uh, it's it's I mean recovery is hard work, and we I have to work my program consistently, but it seems to be working because I, I think I'm a pretty happy guy, and you know life seems pretty pretty good. Where are the opportunities in our community for grassroots organizations like Res Hope, NC Raw, to make an impact and make that connection like what 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 is the need um for, from my standpoint you know my, my first go-to is is haywood pathways center because they're they're a a private uh organization receiving no government funding and they have a residential program for women for adults they're breaking ground and building a program for women with children they don't charge to live there uh they feed 20 million people every every month um they provide housing shelter clothing i didn't know what they did until my wife started working there and then she tells me all the stuff they do and um so uh, you know my my first go-to is contact haywood Pathways center and say hey you know how can how can my group help can we cook a meal can we donate this can we do a, a food drive can we do a coat drive can we um be on the volunteer list so that when joe has a job interview across town uh you know someone can call me and say hey can you give joe a ride um th- there there is an infinite number of things that they need mm-hmm. um they, there is a finite number of people willing to do it so i'll just inform that caleb would like to share about his some of his glory days <laughs> <laughs> No, uh-uh. come on, tell us. So you're an experienced mixed martial artist. I went two and one in my amateur record. You go, you go <laughs> two and one as an yeah. amateur fighter. Yeah. Well, Bob, That's man, cool. I hate to do it to you, brother, but we're a little bit out of time. Right I, don't, I don't want to hold you back from your meet, important meeting. You got business to take care of. <laughs> I, I'm st- I'm going to steal Southwestern Community College people. Yeah. And hire them at Red Oak. My man Trevor's raising his hand right, right now. Right on. Here we go. <laughs> he's raising his hand. He's, he's in line. He's waiting for an interview right Here's now. That's why he's stuck around. Right on. So thanks for sticking around and, uh, and chatting with us, brother. I would love to have you on for like a full-on, you totally. know, two, three-hour podcast would with I w- us. I would love to have Bob at my next board of directors meeting. I would love to have coffee with you, but you keep turning me down. <laughs> <laughs> we just can't get on the same page. We'll get it, Bob. We'll get thank it. you very much for letting me come here I today. appreciate it. Thank you, it's Bob. a pleasure You're to amazing. meet you. And thank you guys for tuning in to NC Raw. The NC Raw crew would like to recognize today's musical contributors, Rival, whose work can be found by visiting his Facebook, YouTube, and SoundCloud page at Rival727. And my man, Logan Bruce, 
whose music we will close the show out with today. Give his Facebook page a like. It's at Logan Bruce Music. You can subscribe to our website by visiting www.ncraw.life to receive all of our episodes delivered directly to your inbox. This is Logan Bruce, Diary of a Quitter. Thanks for tuning in. For God's sake, get out of my face. Let me do my thing and drown all the pain. For God's sake, just go somewhere safe. Girl, this is no place With this mess I made For God's sake Get out of my way Today's not the day That I make a change When times get tough and thicker These thoughts attack me
diary of a quitter. Mm-hmm.